Amen. Thanks, Ed, for that beautiful reading. We're going to look at the psalm that was just being read. It's such a marvelous psalm. And uh, pray that if you forget everything else today, by end of the evening or end of the day, if you can just remember this one sentence, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord a new song. So that's what we'll be doing uh, today. We'll look at the psalm. And uh, this is a new series that we are starting. Let me go back. The new series that we're starting on Advent. And uh, we're looking at psalms through the Advent. The word Advent just means anticipating, anticipation, waiting, or looking at it. So, and one of the themes in the Advent uh, or during the Christmas season is worship. Oh, come, let us adore him. We sang that beautiful uh, hymn, Oh, come, let us adore him. And we find this in all through the, uh, the events that took place during first Christmas. We had the shepherds, the wise men, Simon the prophet, Zachariah in the temple, Mary when she heard the news that she was going to give birth to the Messiah, all of them broke out into a new song of praise to God. They worshipped God. They sang a new song for what the Lord has been doing. And so friends, we too in the season, let's practice singing to the Lord a new song. What does it mean to sing a new song? How do we sing a new song? We'll look at it in the psalm as the psalm tells us. Psalm is fitting to preach during Advent. It is both a time of preparation as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. It is also an anticipation of his second coming. And we live in that moment. Yes, we celebrate Christ coming into the world during Christmas time, but we also anticipate his second coming. And we have a hope, friends, that he's going to come back again. He's going to come back for us. And that's the anticipation of the second coming. So Psalms 96, here he comes. It's a psalm that calls people to praise God and to give reasons why we need to praise him. It brims with imperatives to sing, to bless, to tell, to declare, to ascribe, to worship. All these words are mentioned in the psalm. It calls us to worship. Call, sing, bless, tell, declare, ascribe, and worship. And this is all that we as his children need to be doing. This psalm is a motivational psalm. It moves people to worship and to proclaim God's mercy and might. And I pray this morning that this psalm will move us to worship him. Now at the end of the civil war between, uh, uh, in Israel between Saul and David, David now becomes the king over all Israel. And the first thing David does is to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. The reason I'm sharing this is Psalms 96 has its background in this incident, in the story of where David 
becomes the king over all Israel. And now he looks for the ark. Ark of the covenant was in a, in a Gentile home, in a Hittite home of Obed-Edom. And he hears that God blesses the household of Obed-Edom. Now David wants to bring the ark to Jerusalem. Some consider this to be one of the greatest highlights of David, David's life. Thousands of people gather to see the Ark of the Covenant coming through to, on the streets of Jerusalem. Scores of priests, their choirs and orchestra. And if you see that story in First Chronicles chapter 16, you will see the things that David does in preparation in bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. A massive celebration was held. Because the Ark of the, Lord, Ark of the Covenant, uh, Ark of the Lord was coming into Jerusalem. It was a visible sign of God's presence with his people. That God was going to dwell with his people. And David composed this psalm uh, uh, as a thanks for his wonderful occasion. And part of this psalm is also found in 1 Chronicles 16. So middle verses of this psalm is set, of, of, this song, of this song is set into Psalms 96. So the whole point of Psalms 96 is that it calls God's people to worship God. It calls us to worship Him. To worship Him in splendor of holiness and to proclaim to the nation that our King is coming. That our God reigns. That He is a ruler over all the nations. This is the point of Psalm 16, calling people to worship. Worship him in splendor. This is a joyful psalm. It pulsates with joy and expectations of the coming of the Lord. And so too, my friends, it should be our joy as we wait to see the coming of the Lord. There are four parts in the psalm. One, there's call to worship. There's reason to worship. And then there's context to worship, and there's content to worship. So the call to worship, why we need to worship, what is there for us to worship, in what context we need to worship. We're going to look at the first three verses of this psalm. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nation, His marvelous deeds among all people. Now, if you have a Bible, you can open to it and you can stay at that passage. I will not be going all over the Bible, but I will be staying in this passage. This is what God is going to do. Sing a new song. What song? Sing a new song. It does not imply that we sing a newly composed worship number. It doesn't say that. It's a song that is unrehearsed. It is a song that is birthed in our heart as we wake up in the morning. And friends, it just doesn't happen to worship team as well. Not just to them. They're not uh, somebody different. But we all are people who are called to worship God. It's a song that is unrehearsed. It's a song that is from the heart of a person who gains a fresh awareness of God's love and grace and what God is doing. Friends, what is God doing in your life? Is there a fresh awareness of what God is doing in your life? And if that's so, you will burst out with a song. Now, it doesn't have to be good voice to sing now. God doesn't need good voice to sing. He just needs to praise Him. And if I were to sing, all of you would be going out. God doesn't need a good voice. He doesn't need a rehearsed 
song. He doesn't need a choir. He just needs a song that comes from my heart to praise him. Look at verse, uh, look, look at the uh, part of the verse. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his salvation from day to day. What does day to day mean? Today and tomorrow, day to day. It means that we never stop proclaiming God's salvation. We never stop proclaiming his good news. We never stop proclaiming the good thing that God has done in our life. Friends, has God done good things in your life? Just one or two. I'm sure all of us, God has done good things in our lives. And it is out of the good things in our lives that our song comes forth day after day that we proclaim his salvation. Every one of us should praise God both morning and evening. And what does one of the Psalms tell us? Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. But everything that has breath, praise the Lord. And that is what we need to be doing. Declare His glory, His marvelous deeds to all peoples. In other words, this is a call to worship to all the earth, to the nations, and to the peoples. If Lord Jesus Christ has become King of your heart, and if you see His blessing, do not hesitate to sing a new song. Sing it. Sing a new song. How, how are we to worship? F.B. Meyer, he says, in private, sing unto him a new song. So you don't have to be embarrassed about how you're singing. Sing unto the new song. In public, show forth his salvation and declare his glory. Sing with all your might in the shower. Give glory to God. If there's a song in your heart, sing it. Does not be rehearsed. Sing it. Telling God of his greatness and his goodness. So here we see, friends, the first three verses. We are called to worship God. Sing a new song unto him. Day after day, sing a new song. Now maybe there are some of you who are saying, just like the children of Israel sat by the rivers of Babylon. We sat by the rivers of Babylon and we had no song to sing. We just couldn't sing. They were taken captives to Babylon and they had no song to sing until they were called back to Jerusalem where they could sing to the Lord. Maybe you're saying, I have no song to sing. Maybe you're saying, I just cannot sing. And friends, we will see the reason why we need to worship God, why we need to sing those songs. Next three verses, verses four to six. This is what it says. Here's the reason to worship. For great is the Lord most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. All the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord has made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. What are the words here used in this verse that declares who God is? What are some of the words? Anyone? Great, yes, great. Feared. Worthy, splendor, majesty, strength, glory. And, and, and just look at this. There's glory and strength together. In the world, it doesn't compute. Glory and strength doesn't compute. But here, in God's creation, there's glory and strength. There's splendor of his majesty. And that is the reason why we need to worship God. We worship him because he is great. Because the Lord is great and is worthy of our praise. 
He's the great God. And He's worthy of praise. We worship Him because of His greatness, because of His splendor, because of His majesty, His beauty, His glory, and because of all that He has created, we worship Him. The psalmist, or David, who was writing the psalm, he's not intended in giving God empty praise or unthinkable praise. He's not getting into a trance or chanting here where words make no sense. But his praise is intelligent and is focused on the greatness of God. And friends, let me tell you something. When you begin to focus on the greatness of God, it moves you to see the kind of a God we serve, a great God that we serve. And towards the end of the psalm, the psalmist will tell us what happens when we see the greatness of God. The greatness of God makes us to, uh, makes us to worship Him and to praise Him, to be greatly praised because He is to be feared above all gods and all gods of this world are idols and they're useless, worthless. Here's a wonderful wordplay in, in Hebrew language on this idols that talks about in the same verse. He is to be feared above all gods and all gods of the peoples are worthless idols. The word Elohim means God. And the word for idols is Elim. What a small difference. What a small difference. And the word Elim, idols, is worthless, nothing, or, in, or vain things. This morning, friends, what is our idol? Maybe it's not something that where I come from, from India, where we have small idols of gods that people craft it and worship it, and sometimes they take it to the river and dump it there and all this kind of thing. But in, in our context, what is idols? What are idols? What are those worthless things that we're chasing after? What are those vain things that we're running after? What are those nothingness that we're chasing after? And those things that replace God are idols. Friends, all those things are worthless. There are two reasons that this verse gives. You know, sometimes how we say, oh, the worship is so flat. I didn't get anything out of worship. There are two reasons that this tells us. It's because we really don't believe how great our God is. And if you and I don't believe how great our God is, how can we worship Him? How can we worship a God who's not great? And then it becomes an idol. It's nothingness. It's in vain. Or, if you have replaced him with other idols, friends, this morning, we can give glory to God is because of his greatness, knowing how great he is in our lives. We saw that last, last Sunday in Bartimaeus, blind man sitting by the roadside begging. Somebody told him it was Jesus of Nazareth. A wrong connotation, a wrong terminology for Jesus. And what did Bartimaeus do? He hears Jesus of Nazareth, but he shouted, Jesus, son of David. A royal lineage. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. His view of God was a royal one. And no wonder he received blessings from God. What is our view of God this morning? What is it that compels us to worship God? 
God's own greatness, friends, is a compelling reason for us to worship God. Maybe there, there, is, there is no compelling reason in our lives. Let's look to him. Let's exalt his name. Let's make him big. He's a great God, worthy of all praise, glory, and honor. Splendor and majesty are his. And so we worship him. Friends, we exalt God. Our hearts, our attitude, our attitude will change. There'll be a song that comes forth to declare his praises. And then you'll know how beautiful is worship, worshiping this great God. So what compels us to worship God? His greatness, because he's worthy of praise, of worship. So we see the call to worship. First three verses. The next three we see why we worship. And the next three we'll see the content of our worship. What are we worshiping at? Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nation. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. And bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. What is the word that keeps repeating again and again in this verse? Ascribe. That's right. Ascribe. What, what does ascribe mean? To give. To give. And what are we to give here? Glory. And honor. Strength. We give glory and honor and strength. And we come before him. So this verse 7 to 9 tells us what we need to give to the Lord in our worship. We need to ascribe to the Lord. We need to give to the Lord glory and strength. We need to recognize his glory, recognize his strength, and praise him for, as we glorify his name. Recognize who he is. All-powerful, almighty God. And bring an offering and make a sacrifice to the earth. He tells that. Look at that phrase, bring an offering into his courts and come into his courts. We give him our offering of our money. We give an offering of our time. We give an offering of our attention. We give him our worship, our surrender, our service, our resources, and so much more. Time, attention. We give to the Lord. Our money, our resources, we give him. We bring them to the house of God and to worship God. And how often, friends, we just, just can't get the attention of the short amount of time to worship the Lord. We find it difficult. I'm sorry for all those of you who sat this early this morning watching Argentina, Australia. I'm sorry for that. That's okay. <laughs> Another beautiful thing that we see in this psalm is the connection that he says, all the families of the earth. Notice that phrase. All the fam families of the earth. Now here we find the promises that God made to Abraham. God caused Abraham out of darkness, out of his idolatrous world, where Abraham would come out of his tent and look at the moon, his God, and he used to worship. And when God called him, he began to worship the God who made that moon, the creator God. And the day when, remember the time when God called Abraham, say, give your son, your only son, as an offering to God. And Abraham brings his son and gives him for, gives the Lord. And after God tested him, God told Abraham, he promised to Abraham, through you shall all nations of the earth be blessed. 
That is a promise given through you, through Abraham. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. And now here in Psalms, there's a powerful declaration. It says, all you families of the nations. Powerful declaration. And see how it progresses in Revelation chapter 7. We see the fulfillment of the promise that God gave for Abraham. The great multitude in Revelation chapter 7. Great multitude. No one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language. Standing before the throne room of God. Worshipping the Lamb. What a marvelous picture that is friends. What a marvelous picture. God gave the promise to Abraham. We see, the, uh, we see it, a declaration in Psalms 96. And we see the fulfillment in Revelation. It's going to happen. From every tribe, tongue, and nation, and peoples from all the, all the families of the earth will stand before the throne of God. Finally, we are asked to worship God. Uh, when I say finally, it's the last point of this point. This. <laughs> I was preaching in a church in India this time when we went on a holiday and uh, spoke for 20 minutes and they thought that was an introduction. <laughs> in fact, I was concluding they thought that was an introduction. <laughs> Here's the gospel message. Because it's a worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness, not our holiness. It's not me, it's not us, but Him. It's His holiness. So what is the psalmist saying? If we need His holiness, friends, we need to repent of our sins. Come to Him and accept Him as our Lord and Savior. And when we accept Him as Lord and Savior, He clothes us with His Righteousness. It's not our righteousness. It's His righteousness. It doesn't matter how we look like. But what God sees us through, He sees us through Christ as He has clothed us in His righteousness. Worship Him in the splendor of His holiness. If we really believe in our heart who He is, then we will be passionate in our worship of the living God. If we truly believe in our hearts who He is, then we will be passionate in our worship of the living God. So, so far we see the call to worship, why we need to worship. And we're going to, we looked at the content of worship. Finally, we're going to look at the context. It's like as if the psalm is moving to a crescendo. Verses 10 to 13. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord for He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the, and the people in His faithfulness. This is the context of worship. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. That is the future context of our worship. In verse 10, the Lord will reign. Verse 13, He will come and judge the earth. He will judge the world in, 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 in His righteousness. And as a result, what's going to happen when God judges the world? The earth is glad. The heaven rejoices. And the sea resounds 
The fields are jubilant and everything in the fields. And let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Now we talk about this global warming. We talk about all this taking care of the mother earth. Look at what this world says. Look at all that. The heavens, the earth, the, the seas, the fields, and everything in the fields. All the trees of the forest will sing for joy. When? When he comes. He's going to come with the new earth and the new heavens. And when he comes, when, when he judges, things are going to be different. All the creation will rejoice before the Lord. The creation now that is groaning under the weight of sin will rejoice again. Will be set free to worship him. What happened? <laughs> will be free to worship him. He is coming again. He will rule again. He will reign again. And when he does, you will see the earth bouncing back. Everything happening as it was when God created the heavens and earth. And he said everything was good until sin came. And now again, when he's going to come back, we're going to see it reformed. We're going to see it transformed and changed. And as we worship him, friends, in the light of future, because he is coming, we will worship him. In conclusion, to sum up this psalm, how does it apply to us? How does it apply to me? Number one, if the glorious God is a savior, we will be a worshiping people. If the Lord we serve is God, truly the Lord of our lives, we will be a worshiping, worshiping people. If glorious God is our savior, we will be a declaring people because this psalm says, declare to all the nations. Tell of the nations. And friends, if glorious God is our savior, we will be a watchful people because we are going to watch and wait for him to come back. Psalms 96, is that what was calls on God's people to worship God in the splendor of his holiness and to proclaim the nations that the Lord is coming. And in Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 it says, when the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord, he shall reign forever and ever. When the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord, he will reign forever and ever and we will be his children, part of this kingdom, ruling forever and ever. Amen. This is the glorious truth that we face for him. And this is what causes us to worship because he is going to come back and establish his reign on this earth forever and ever. That's the God we serve. And that's a beautiful Psalms 96. Sing unto the Lord a new song. And if you forget all that, friends, go to the psalm again. It tells you what you need to sing. And let your heart be motivated to sing a new song to the Lord. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that we can come before you. Thank you, our Father, that we can worship you in the splendor of holiness, of your holiness. Thank you, Lord God, that we can give to you the glory that is due to your name. We ascribe to you the glory, the splendor, the majesty to you. Lord, we thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, we pray that you'd make the truth a solid conviction in our lives. That we will see this morning, Lord, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God, when we worship you as King of kings and the Lord of lords, truly from our hearts, Lord, our worship, Lord, will, will be one that magnifies your name. Help us, Father, this morning to see you as Lord of Lords, as King of Kings. Thank you, dear Father. 
as we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, let's continue to worship God with this last song. Thank you, John. Let's worship God.